in God's Word, I hope, to have a little more interaction with you. That really is dependent upon you, isn't it? Because if you don't interact, then I have to just go with what I have. And so every pastor wants to have an interactive sermon um, is at the will of his people to a degree. Uh, but we're going to be looking at this. We have been working at growing in favor with men as part of the upbringing of children, that we should be seeing them develop socially. And by that, we don't necessarily mean at all with their peers, but rather particularly with those in authority, uh, that we're bringing them into the adult world. And it is not about whether they get along, necessarily gets along with their peer world. Uh, I would contend with you that if they are acclimated towards getting along with adults, that they generally will have very little problem with their peers. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about siblings and their role today in that process. There is an aspect of peer, a necessity of peer engagement, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, We are on the P, which is provision, in our diaper, D-I-A-P-E-R. We are in the P, and we're going to get to the E as well. I don't know how to do provision of social interaction without doing examples. And we should be an example of social interaction. And essentially, uh, outside of sending them to another place to have social interaction without your supervision or without your participation, um, which we're going to engage that a little bit tonight too, that there are opportunities to do that. And we're going to see a couple examples in God's Word of that. Uh, But... Uh, Outside of that, most of the time that you're going to provide them opportunities for social interaction and learning social skills, you're going to be a part of that learning. That is, you're going to be in that social setting with them. And therefore, the P, the provision of social development, and the example of social development really go together. And so we've been using our example of good etiquette or, let's say, table manners and so it begins with us being examples of table manners and then having the, providing the opportunity for that. So I'm going to provide my family a setting where we can help our children develop those things. And that setting is not going to be on the couch in front of the TV. That's just not going to happen. You're not going to be able to develop social skills there because a TV is, quite frankly, very antisocial. It's perhaps one of the most antisocial devices ever devised by man. Um, it, it, it calls you to interact with it in isolation with anyone else, no matter if the other person is leaning right on you. You have your own mind engaged there and attention, and they have their mind and, engage, and attention engaged there. And while you're both engaged in the same thing, you're not doing it together. You might think you're together, but really you're being engaging with that and not with one another. And, uh, and so we don't want church to become that either, I say, well, isn't that what happened when we get into a sermon because we're all listening? Uh, but we want to have this fellowship. We want to have this shared conversation. And so when we talk about developing social skills, that's not a place that's going to happen. Similarly, uh, one of the things that you need to provide for your children is, because I just referenced that a little bit, is, and it sounds more like unproviding, but it is provide them a, a place without distractions that is without social distractions uh, that isolate them and so when we talk about social distractions if I have a child sitting there with their phone in front of their face with an earbud in their ear 
I'm not going to have any social interaction with them of any substance that will last, that will have any meaningfulness to it at all. And, and do not think that texting someone is equivalent to having a relationship with them. It just isn't. And it is not developing social skills. Now, is there etiquette on social media? There is an etiquette that is kind of political correctness. It's really it's not etiquette. It's really just political correctness. You know, don't type in capitals. That means you're yelling at us. Well, well, maybe I am yelling at you, so I can type in capitals when, it, when I'm emphatic. Uh, and other things, and there are certain things that husbands and wives shouldn't argue their things out, and you shouldn't argue with people online and things like that. Uh, and we just see this, this etiquette, which really political correctness is what they're really espousing, not true etiquette. True etiquette is about uh, being gracious but not being dishonest or not being uh, uh, hiding what you think or who you are. But there is a way to communicate that but yet do it in a gracious manner that demonstrates that you care about that person and that you are concerned not only about them, but of, their, of the social environment. And so uh, the, you cannot do that on social media. You, you just cannot have that. There is so little that can be communicated. I don't care how many emojis you put after a sentence, it is not going to be the same as you engaging someone and coming up to them and looking them square in the eye and holding out your hand, touching them, and saying, I love you. Okay, so if I put a little heart emoji, is that equivalent to that? Uh, <laughs> is it equivalent? Come on, if anyone should be saying no, it's our gals here, right? Okay, so sending your mom a little text saying you're the best mom ever, heart, 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 is that equivalent to you coming up, giving her a flower and a great big hug and say I love you mom? No, it's not anywhere close to equivalent, okay? So let's not confuse social media with social. Shame on them for even using the word social as if it is true society. It is not. It is individualized in interaction. That's what it is. It's not really social interaction. It's individual interaction. I interact, but it's not really interaction. It's just one, uh, one really narrow way of communicating but it's extremely narrow. And so what we want to develop is, and what we want to provide our children is an environment where that is not the primary means of communication. And so when I have people in my home, and I got, I got, I'm going to use this example because it's okay, um, because we love these guys and we pray for them. And uh, We had the Lossings at our home. They were here on furlough, and they had all their children with them at that point. That was one of those trips. And... And Jim is up there talking with me. We're talking theology in the living room. And he gets a phone call. And he's talking. So interrupted our conversation with this phone call. I was like, hmm. And, he's, and he sounded kind of annoyed by it. And I just kind of smiled. And I was like, yeah, those are annoying things. He says, this is from the basement. <laughs> it was one of his kids called him from my basement. Okay? Um, and, and he had a right to be annoyed. All right, and so uh, sometimes the best thing we do is, is, is take away that because it is anti-social media is what it really is. 
It is, I don't, wanna, I don't care what you're involved in right now. What I want to ask you is more important. And so would, if that young person, this is not a child at this point, if that young person had come up the stairs and seen that, I don't remember if it was a son or daughter, um, and seen these two men engaged in heavy-duty conversation, they would have never interrupted for this stupid little question. They would have never thought to it that. But they weren't thinking about others. They were thinking only about themselves, and they wanted an immediate answer about some petty little thing that didn't matter. And so it's an antisocial because it is, it is completely selfish. And so one of the things we need to provide them is an environment where that isn't the rule. That isn't even available. And so I take them out of that. And so we remove that from them. And that means removing it not only from them, but from you. Uh, I turn my phone off and put it away during our meal. Okay, I turn this off and put it away during this conversation that we're going to have that I'm not going to be distracted by it. I'm not going to sit there and try to check my text while I'm talking to you. That is not going to be. So one of the primary things you need to provide them is by example and provision an environment that is truly social with you being their society. You as a parent, you as a, as a church member of theirs is their society. But not if you're on your phone and they're on their phone. You are not in society. You are in your individual encapsulated area, even if you're sitting on the same couch. You're in your world, they're in their world. If you're sitting across from each other at the same table, you're, and I, I watch people at restaurants when we had restaurants, um, and we may never have them again. Yeah, let that sink in. You just believe it's temporary. I'm just messing with you. And they're across the table going out to eat together, and they're, well, on their phone, and they're on their phone, and they're just doing their thing. Well, you, you, why are you here? Okay? And so it's completely antisocial. So we want to provide them by example, saying you're more important, your conversation is more important than this. I put away, my wife gets really annoyed with me because I don't hear her while I'm on Facebook, because I'm, in, I'm writing and she knows not to even try to, she should know, not to even try to talk to me, because I'm answering questions from people in Peru or in Philippines or in India or Kenya, and I'm talking to these people, um, and I'm trying to engage them, and she knows that if that's there, that she's not, I'm not with her. We can be sitting right there in chairs next to each other, but I'm not with her. I'm with these people. Okay, and so I've taken my society away from her. And so in our provision, we want to talk about that. So that, I want to just throw out there right away, very quickly, very forcefully, that if you want to provide something to help your children grow socially, provide them an environment where there's no antisocial activity, particularly your phone, your laptop, your media, whatever it is. Uh, and that should be a priority for you. And I'm guilty of the same thing. It's addictive, frankly. And uh, the two times that I get online with people on the other side of the earth is when they're awake and I'm awake. And that means it's morning and evening. Uh, during the day, they're, during my day, they're asleep. And during their day, I'm, a, I'm asleep. And so it's the morning 
in the evening. That also happens to be the time when my wife is home from work. <laughs> so that doesn't work out so good for us. So she's frustrated with that, and she has a right to be. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to be more conscious. I'm just going to do this for this period of time. Um, and then the, I, but I get into some conversations sometimes, and they go on and on. Um, but because we have to wait for the interaction. So provide your children. But when we were children were young, that just wasn't the case in our home. And that's why none of my children had phones until uh, they were adults and got their own. And I didn't have a phone. I, it was just not something. It was antisocial, and it still is. So, what, so then we get to, well, that's what I'm not going to provide them. I'm, I'm going to provide them a negative uh, which is no an environment where there is no distractions outside of our social setting. But what about other environments you can place them into for social development? Now, usually if we have this conversation with a group of parents, the first thing they think of is, i got to set up play dates for my kids. And I'm not referencing that at all. Okay? Your play dates have an importance to your child's development about as much as candy does to their body. Okay, is it nice to eat? Yes. Does it help them nutritionally? No, probably hurts them in the long run. Um, most of my children learn some really bad skills from playing with their peers. All right, they learn bad language. They learn bad attitudes. They learned how to be rebellious. They learned how to talk back to their parents. None of those things were allowed in our home, but they saw them in other children in their homes. Uh, and so while... They enjoy the camaraderieship. They enjoy the companionship of someone their own age. It was not a benefit to them socially. And so I'm not talking about setting up play dates. Uh, it's okay to have that. They should have friends their age. I'm not against having friends. Um, but don't think that that is the main development of their social skills because it is not. It is the devolvement of social skills when you put a bunch of children together. Watch it. I've been a nursery worker for 20 years plus in this church. And if I sit there and just watch and let it go and see what happens, it always devolves. Even if there's siblings and things, it always devolves into fighting and mine, 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 ah! ah! You know, and they're starting to bite each other and grab each other and pull each other's hair. And it always devolves. The fact is, playdates are really parent dates. <laughs> You're just using your children for an excuse to socialize with adults. Okay, so what are, do we provide children as opportunities to socialize outside of our, our home network, our home society? And understand, the fundamental key to society is your home. So what other environments can we place them into? Church. Amazing. All right. Uh, when your child goes to a Sunday school class or to the nursery or to junior church, who are they primarily engaging with? An adult. I am not there just to supervise children being children. I am there to instruct them and to show them how to be kind, how to talk right, how to read the story. We're all going to sit down together and read our story. And right now, that's only one kid in my nursery for the last few weeks and that's Levi, and, and, and as soon as I say, let's sing, he still runs over and gets the chair, and, and he could easily sing right there on my lap, but 
he has associated that seeing time means you go get a chair and sit down in front of the teacher. And that's what he goes and does. He has to go get a chair. Because all the children went and got chairs. When, when I, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I don't, I, all the babies were born, I don't have babies in my church. So I'm, getting on, I'm going to start getting on them here real soon. Saying you can get to work on time, you get to church on time for Sunday school. Um, and so Sunday school is an environment. You think, well, they're with children their own age. Yes, but they're primarily with an adult. Okay, great opportunity. Uh, now, do we have the same opportunity at school? This is a trick question. Why not? Why isn't the same dynamic at school? It should be at school, but it's not. Why not? Okay, you do not have a, a right example. So you don't, generally in the public school system, you do not have a teacher modeling what you want modeled in front of them. Okay, because you don't, you could have a Christian teacher, um, and some of my children when they were in school were Christian teachers before we started homeschooling them, um, but many weren't. Okay, uh, most weren't. Maybe one. Um, and uh, out of all the teachers that I knew of, and so you don't have the good model. What else is wrong in that environment? Okay, you have, you have usually too many children and not enough adults. And you have uh, children with a different perspective and philosophy. And, and like I said, you're going to poison the pot more than you're going to benefit it. You know, it's like the old story that you give this parrot that has good, and you set it by a parrot, try and teach it good language, and all that happens is the good parrot learns the curse words of the pirate's parrot. Um, and that's what, so there's that problem. Um, but the environment is anti what we are trying to teach. They are trying to teach a political correctness that is offensive to us. And so Sunday school is a good place. What else? Where else? All right, family, outside family members, outside of your family. And again, providing that they don't have the same problem the public school system has, that they're communicating wrong values to your child and they are being examples of the opposite. And so if you want your children to have good social skills, don't give them to family members who have really lousy social skills and you know who they are, okay? And so if they're ungodly, then you need to be very watchful over that, very careful. You can't really leave them in their hands. But if you do have godly grandparents or uncles, aunts, you need to give them opportunity to engage that. And you'll be, you'll be floored by how adultish your children will behave, how more like adults they'll behave in someone else's, a family member's home. And so, uh, and my daughters are already starting to realize it, that somehow their kids transform a little bit when they come to my house. Why can't they do that at my house? Well, I don't have a magic wand I do over them at my house. It's just um, hopefully what you have been fighting them on at your home, um, they understand to apply at my home, and, and I frankly don't have a toleration level for anything else. And they learn that pretty quick. But they can also go into a different environment and know to manipulate it because those rules are different in that house. You can't believe how quickly a child can learn that they can get away with this in this house, this in that house, and not that at that house. Very quickly. Two years old, they can know who they can manipulate and who can't be manipulated. 
By two years old, they can know that easily. Probably one, one and a half, they can know that. But certainly by two years old, they know which environments they can manipulate and can't manipulate. So you need to be cautious. What other places can we put them or in, engage them to develop socially? If they're a little bit older, you put them into some sports depending upon, again, the sport. Um, we choose not to put our children into team sports very much. We did a little bit of baseball, softball, um, but not a lot. And usually that was a disaster. Almost every year that was a disaster. Uh, but the individual sports, the discipline of that, because usually the coaching ratio is much lower. And I like to have them, I, I like to have another adult re reaffirm some of the things they've heard from me. Yeah, my dad makes me go out and run. Well, now you've got a coach telling you, and now it's okay, because now it's a coach saying, go run. And they're coaching you, but dad's annoying you. All right? How does that work? There's an old phrase called familiarity breeds contempt. They're so familiar with you, and they kind of start to thinking that this is your thing, and then they need to be in an environment where they realize, well, this is an adult thing. This isn't just my parents' thing. And that's why there's good opportunities to put them under other adults. Again, make sure they're going to reinforce qualities you're interested in and seeing develop there, and that's why godly people are important. Well, I'm going to give you an example from God's Word. Turn to the Gospel of John, and uh, I want to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. Can we put our kids into weird environments? And this parent did a great job putting a child in a weird environment. Chapter 6. Jesus is with his disciples. They're out into the wilderness. You guys know the story, right? Everybody knows the story of feeding the 5,000? I'm looking around the room. Yes, very good. Uh, and Jesus asked the question, verse 5 of Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here. Let's just stop right there. What does this tell you? Let's review this a little bit. Where are they? In the wilderness. There's a huge crowd. They're in a desolate place. And there's a kid there. Where are his parents? They're not in the crowd. He got sent to go listen to Jesus with a sack lunch. Think about that. There's a lad here. Now, this probably isn't a three-year-old, okay? Uh, but there's a young man here. He's probably around 10 to 14. The word there is, a, is not really a teen. Uh, it's, it's a young person, probably 10 to 12. And mom packed him a really nice lunch for a whole day to go follow Jesus. Think about that. Go spend the day with Jesus. You wonder if she was just had her up to here with him and just packed him lunch and said, go spend with Jesus. You know, that's the negative view of it. 
the, the positive view is she was a wise mom and a wise dad that said, listen, we got a lot going on today, but the Messiah is here and we need our child to be under his tutelage and we want to send him to hear the truth. And after all, remember Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And here was a wise parents that while they had an active, busy day and couldn't go themselves, they could send their young son. And they send him off. And this kid follows the group. He's in a group of 5,000? We get a little nervous if our kid disappears in a group of 100. 5,000? And he's following and listening to Jesus. And uh, when it's time to eat, he's got his lunch. And he's willing to share. And so Andrew says, here, I got this lad here, and he's got a lunch, and what can we do with this little bit for so many? And so here's a child, a young lad, it says, sent off to listen to Jesus and on his own with a lunch. I'm sending him with a lunch. This is a responsible mom. You know, Jesus, you know, I don't know how long, but uh, you just stick with Jesus today and uh, engage him. And the Kid becomes the secondary hero of the day. Primary hero is Jesus. He takes the loaves and fishes, multiplies them, feeds 5,000. But the secondary guy uh, is this young man. The disciples didn't know what to do, um, but the, the young man was willing to share, which is a great social skill, is it not? But look at where he is. He's out in the wilderness listening to Jesus talk. And so we need to be actively, as parents, I think, looking for opportunities to put our children, as they mature, into environments, not where they are at risk, but where we have a trusted people to engage them. Um, Because I know that you are the bastion of wisdom and your child should be listening to you, but someone else that even you respect comes along, says the exact same things you say, and your child listens to them and not to you. Why does that happen? I don't know. It happened in my home, and it ha- which is kind of funny because some of you send your children to hear from me, and my children I'd send to you to listen to you um, because they'll listen to you, not me. And so it, it's a weird thing. I don't, know, I don't know how to explain it other than to say familiarity breeds contempt, and sometimes they need to hear it from another source outside of the one they're familiar with. Not that you were wrong or that you said it wrong or someone else can say it better, but they need to be out and exposed into the, the adult world. Think about this. This child was sent out not on a play date. This child was sent out to hear Jesus speak. Here's a lunch. Go follow Jesus for the day. You get the day off from whatever our usual chores are, and you can follow Jesus. We can't get out. And he ends up being an, an intimate part of this relationship and, and can you imagine him going home and say, Mom, you'll never know what happened to my lunch. I gave it away. What? You gave your lunch away? Yes, and Jesus multiplied it and fed 5,000 men. <laughs> and here's my basket full. <laughs> I often wonder if he brought back a basket full more than he you know, took a little bag, brought back a basket full. All right, what a powerful impact. Allow other people, to, and that's what's so good about giving them social engagement within the church, 
of allowing them to engage with other mature adults and to interact because this is opportunities for them to reinforce what you're trying to do at home but somehow in a different environment with a different voice with a different personality it, it's it's listened to more readily and that's why social development of providing those opportunities and um, and sometimes I set that up as a pastor. There's one particular situation I always set this up as a pastor, and that is if I have a child who is fatherless in the home. All right, if I have a child in my church that there's no father in the home, I will set that up. I'll set that relationship up, and I'll go to one of the men in our church, and I'll say, I would like you to um, be like, if you want to call it a big brother or an uncle or whatever, to these children. I'll still be their pastor. I'm not putting you in there where I should be. I'm taking a role there, but my role is one, and I want you to help me with that role, and together we're going to uh, be a dad to them. And uh, that's something I have set up with fatherless children in our church, historically. And I've done that pretty much most of my ministry, that if I have someone that's no father in the home, I take a lot of interest in their lives, and then I try to bring another man into their life. Uh, I really haven't had a situation where there's no mother in the home, um, but should I be confronted with that? I'll go to one of the ladies and say, I want you to just kind of take this under one wing, and I expect my wife to do the same. And it's because of the necessity of that environment. But, but that relationship, while I try to make it happen for the fatherless children, you can do that uh, and the world understands the value of this. That's why they have the Big Brother, Big Sister program. That's why they have these programs. And, and there's a lot of danger in those, be and that's why there has to be a lot of vetting. But in the church, we need to recognize that we need to provide our children those kinds of relationships with adults. And as adults, we need to be ready to engage in relationships like that with other people's children to go and teach them how to do something. Now, even into their teens, I did that with my children. Okay, there's, uh, could I teach them how to hunt? Yeah, it had been a long time since I hunted, but I got a hold of a, a hunting guide, and I was like, oh, yeah, how about if you just teach my kids? And, I, and I'll tell you how good I did at this, okay? After several trips to Texas of him teaching my children to hunt, and I'm there, so I, I'm watching, but I don't really say much, I just work and I, I handle the knife when the animal's dead and I run around and I cheerlead, but that's about it. I don't really do much. I don't say, I don't talk like I know anything. I don't talk at all really much. I let them teach my children about hunting, how to track, how to prowl, how to uh, finish the, you know, wh where to point the gun, how to handle the, the gun, what the gun is and what it, you know. Uh, I really don't do any of that. I don't really engage them in my, that I did it so well that on one of our last trips there, they said, we're not sure you know how to hunt. He says, have you ever shot a gun? <laughs> and my son was sitting there, and, and he, just, he just didn't say a word. He, just, he didn't defend me or anything. And then I realized my son has never seen me hunt. My son and daughter had never seen me hunt before. And so I said, well, I don't have a hunting license. They said, oh, it's on my land. Go ahead. This is Texas. And they handed me a gun. They said, shoot that animal. And I was like, seriously? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. I said, where do you want me to hit it? And they said, that little 
diamond shape uh, right there. And so I hit it right there, and I go, oh, you do know how to handle a gun. Yes, it's not that I can't. It's that my children are going to be more adept to listen to someone who's a professional hunter than to dad. And, and they learned, and they learned good skills. And it was valuable. And so it's okay to bring other people in. The Bible talks about that we're going to bring other people in, but we're going to be... Uh, involved in that process to learn these skills. And socially, we need to do the same thing, that we're going to develop social skills. We want to engage with adult people. Now, what book of the Bible do you think has the most to say about parenting? We've already done this once. I'm just, this is a review question. What single book of the Bible has the most to say about parenting? Book of Proverbs. My son, my son, my son, my son, my son. The entire book is a book of parenting. And in there you will find on a regular basis reference to their relationship with other people, social upbringing. And the keys there is you're going to recognize authority and you're going to, whether it's the king, whether it's the boss, whether it's your husband, whether it's your parents, how to engage authority. It talks about speaking the truth, that if you speak the truth, you're going to have a different environment. And one of the words you're going to see in there is, is you'll have the favor not only of men but of God. And so God will bless this. And so it talks about social development extensively. And as it does so, what does it also warn you of socially? You men should know this because you should be reading a chapter of Proverbs every day of your life, corresponding with the day of the month. You should be reading Proverbs 3. Is this the 3rd of May? You should read Proverbs 3 today. So what is one of the social relationships you should be warned of in Proverbs? Lady on the corner. The adulteress, the prostitute, the adulterous woman, the, the easy girl, uh, the flirt, the uh, be, be wary of her. That's a social skill to avoid her. She's on that corner, you go that way. Don't make eye contact, don't smile, uh, and the Bible specifically says don't wink. Uh, the winking is a sin uh, in that situation because you're inviting something. And so it talks about a social skill. Know who to avoid, avoid sinners. Uh, and also Psalm 1, don't sit in the seat of the scornful, stand in the way, you know, it says don't, don't stand, don't sit, you know, don't, don't listen, don't, how to be socially is also not only know how to interact with people, but what people not to interact with. So we have this instruction. If you read through Proverbs, you will notice how much of it is social, how much of it is about your relationship with other people, and what affects that if you lie about them, if you lend them money, if you, and if you don't grant them the authority that they are due. What's going to happen? And so talks when it talks about wrath, don't incur the wrath of the king or you'll feel it for a long time. Uh, and it talks about laziness and, and things like that on a character development. But notice how many of those Proverbs deal with social development, your relationship. Choose carefully who your friends are. Don't hang out with those sinners. Don't listen to those people that are troublemakers. Don't hang out with them. Don't, don't be involved with them. Don't be one of them. Be righteous. 
And then it talks about familial relationships, like with your parents, uh, your mother, your father, your grandfather, grandmother. Uh, it talks about those relationships. And so I believe one of the things we should be providing and, and is living out the book of Proverbs to our children and, and, and instructing them in that. But we handled that under I, instruction. I talked about Proverbs and the value there. And so I want to encourage you to place your children and, but willing to go there yourself sometimes into environments where they can engage in social activity and rightly and develop socially. And sometimes that entails what we talked about of not only what to do, but what not to do. Of not only what to say, but when not to say anything. And Proverbs talks a lot about that, doesn't it? You know, bite your tongue when you're in certain environments. You shouldn't talk at all. Uh, and if you're not the wisest person there, your words should be few and your ears should be double. Um, and if you're and so these are instructions that are social instructions. So you grow in favor with men. Nobody wants to be friends with a liar. Nobody wants to be friends with a betrayer, with a gossip, with a tattletale. Nobody wants to be friends with them. That's what Proverbs tells us. They want to be someone with truthful, that's honest, that's forthright, that's reliable. These are social developments. These are social skills as well as character. Okay? And so we have the whole spread here of proper etiquette, just of good manners, but also all the way of realizing that good manners here uh, are going to create disciplines in their life that down the road will enable them to do what Proverbs says and avoid sinners and their sin. Uh, particularly for young men, that promiscuous woman. And that's what we want. Well, if you want that at the end, I would contend that when they're young, they need to have really good manners at the beginning. Why am I teaching them manners? Because the discipline of good social behavior leads to saying, I look at that, social, that behavior and I am repelled from it. It's repulsive to me. It is not attractive. But if I have not been taught good manners, an ill-mannered person seems normal to me. Do you see what I'm saying? If I have no manners, people without manners don't bother me. But if I have really good manners, and I am, then the ill-mannered people, are. I'm naturally going to keep my distance from them which helps them naturally keep their distance most often from sinners. Now, certainly in the church, we have people that come to Christ from a variety of backgrounds and may not have the social development in their upbringing that Christian children have or that our families develop. And so we give them grace and we help them along and we teach them and, and you know when to speak and when not to speak and, and when they should be be appropriate. We don't do that in a judgmental way, but we're helping them develop social skills that they did not attain because they were not raised in a Christian environment. Even though their home might be called Christian, um, if, if everyone's mean to each other and everyone yelled and there was, they never ate together and they always fought and there's no manners in the home, um, then they came out of ill manner. But they have received Christ their Savior. We want to draw them towards that. And so 
Uh, we talked in other places, other times, about developing your children socially and putting them into socially different environments. Church is a socially different environment than your home, isn't it? So your children should learn to be able to sit and listen, and this is not the place to run and play and to fight over toys, right? This is church. This is where you sit and listen uh, and where we will talk and engage. And even if after church when you play with your friends, you don't have liberty to go and destroy things and do things. I don't think they do in your home either, but uh, we understand this is different. And, it's, and I think it's good to put your children in a variety of social environments um, and to train them in how to behave. How do you behave at the ballet? Okay, I wanted to train. When their children get older, when they're 13, 14, and they're starting to look at boys and look at girls, um, well, I'm here to teach them what they should be looking for and what they should be expecting and how they, think, how they should be treated. And so how do I do that? By example, how I treat their mom, and then um, I take them out, and I'll say, hey, it's just you and me, let's go. Okay, and we're going to go out uh, and go out to eat or go out, where did I take you? To a concert. I took my daughter to a concert and then out to eat afterwards. Oh, it's a daddy date. Well, that's really just, here's what your social expectations should be. And if, they, if you have any guy that doesn't measure up to this polite level and to this uh, treatment, then don't have anything to do with them. You're instilling a code in them so that they will gravitate towards people that are good, or at least well-mannered. We want to instill in them a code that will have them tend to avoid or at least think twice before involving themselves with someone ill-mannered. We're imprinting a code on them. That sounds like I'm doing brainwashing. But what I'm doing is training them in knowing what is social graces. Now, the Victorian age that we often think about as being very strict socially, well, this was very important to instill these codes into them so that you knew what class you were in. In class societies, this was very important. I'm not proposing to go back to class societies, but I'm saying that the Bible distinguishes between the righteous and sinners, and that you should not be standing in the way of... Let's go to Psalm 1. Some of you look at me like, what's he referring to? Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. That's what I'm quoting from. Uh, blesses the man, verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the sea of the scornful. Do you see the degrading? First of all, you're walking with them, then you're standing with them, then you're sitting with them. Well, how do we stop this process? Socially, how do we keep our children and mature them to not do this? How do we want them blessed? Well, we stop them by imprinting in them that they're, here's what Christian conduct is like socially. If you do not see that in someone else, it is someone you shouldn't be walking with so that you don't stand with them, so you don't end up sitting with them. And so it is not me imposing a set of rules. It is me saying, here's just what you should expect out of respect for God and respect for yourself. 
you want to be respectful and you want to have the favor of men, then you need to have this understanding of proper social behavior. And if, they, and if it's imprinted on them well, by good example, by you, of knowing who to engage with and who not to engage with, and when you're with ill-mannered people, to call them to something. Um, you know, I've been around people, that, you know, construction workers and military and whatever, uh, and, and with my children, and, and if they want to use God's name in vain, I'm going to say, hey, my kid's here. What's your problem? You know, why are you so unprofessional? You don't need to be cursing in front of my kid. Your child needs to hear that. So I can correct their ill-mannered behavior in front of my children because it needs to be done. And they'll apologize and they'll try to do it. And so um, I've been around people like that. You know, we're not in a bubble. Uh, and so, but my children then can recognize that, that my dad's going to stand up for, don't say that I'm a Christian, and you know, I can't let my ears hear that, uh, that it's not appropriate to say in certain company. It's not appropriate at all, but I expect unbelievers to be like that. I don't expect them to take on my lifestyle, but this is a public setting now, and it's you, me, and my child. And I'm going to require something of you if you're going to have a public, if you're going to have a relationship that my child's going to be exposed to, here's my expectation from you. And that imprints very strongly on my child, that this is something highly important and that their upbringing is more important to me than my relationship with this person. I could offend that person, but I'm more concerned about their impact on my child. And so you're not going to talk like that in front of my child. Okay? But if you're going to take that stand with somebody, you better take that stand with your TV too. And don't let them talk to your child like that in those words either. Okay? Any other questions in this area? I've gone late. Any other engagement? Any other ideas of where your children need to be socially engaged? Again, we're not focused on peers. We're focused on those in authority over them. Yes. And that's why it's okay to reinforce those things. Okay. Good. Okay, your kids are getting a constant stream of instruction from you all day, aren't they? Don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do this, do that. Um, and sometimes they just need to hear a different voice, but an authoritative voice to make sure that voice is a godly voice. Um, don't trust their peers to give them that information. That's a lie that has destroyed so many young lives that parents are letting them hang out with their peers more than with godly adults. I had a very active youth group growing up in my church, um, and, but I, I will tell you that they didn't impact my life. The people who impacted my life were the adults leading the youth. They're the ones that impacted me, not the other youth. It was, and not just professional youth pastors, uh, in Austin, we didn't have a youth pastor. We had, there's three couples who were in charge of the teens group. And we rotated after, after church on Sunday nights, we would have a teen outing all, every summer. All summer, every, after school's out, 
every Sunday night after church, we would have a teen outing, and we'd rotate between those three families. And uh, not all of them had teens, and they impacted my life. The adults did. I remember them. I don't remember the teens helping me much in my Christian life, but I remember the adults doing it and impacting it. And so don't focus on social ideas of peers. Think of, I want to raise adults. I want to bring godly influences in their life in a social setting, not just in a formal setting like where I'm teaching. Okay. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. I thank you for mom and dad that sent a little guy out with a lunch to follow Jesus for a day. And Lord, we pray that we might have that wisdom to involve our children with godly people and to spend time with them and, and uh, to reinforce what we hear, that we might also live it out in front of them and be examples to our children and provide with them a place that is uh, socially safe enough to express their, themselves and yet do it in a, in a responsible and godly manner. And Lord, we pray that we might be, as, as Proverbs describes, that we might just be uh, encouraging our children towards being righteous, to being truthful, to being uh, honest and, and uh, forthright, of being uh, that which pleases you. And Lord, uh, help us to put the seeds there that will help them to avoid the ungodly, the sinners walking with them, standing with them, or sitting with them. Lord, uh, we know that that just degrades down, and we pray that you might help us instill in them uh, the principles and the manners that helps them distinguish uh, the godly from the ungodly uh, in general terms. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.